Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in the Town Bank Building, and we're also in the Village of Whitefish Bay, and there we're in the Equitable Bank Building, just directly across from Winkies. And we are now able to service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. So if you're there, I hope you will stop in at any one of our locations. My guest today is Brad Long, and he is the director of global research for DeMeo Schneider. And you might say, well, who is DeMeo Schneider? And um, it has been a great opportunity for us to work with this firm and to work with Brad Long as the director of global research and helping us to really um, quantify our portfolios and understand better as to the investments that are internal within the investments that we own. Um, pretty much talking about mutual funds. And if you listened to the show yesterday, you heard Mary Brown, and Mary Brown is the manager of our large cap dividend paying portfolio and our small cap portfolio. And I would have to say probably about 15 years ago, we recognized that it was important that we bring in expertise on our portfolios to make sure that we knew and understand exactly which investments were in our portfolio and what risk was inherent in those portfolios. And so with that, we have had the pleasure of partnering up with DeMeo Schneider, who really helps us to look at our investment portfolios, as I said, and to understand what what they're made of. And so, Brad, how did you get into this? How did your company decide to um, create a company that would assist advisors in looking at the different investments that they own. And when I think about starting 30 years ago, and I would look in the newspaper, there'd be maybe six or eight columns of different mutual funds and probably eight or 10 columns of individual equities. And now it's just the opposite. I mean, I don't even know how many mutual funds there are out there. Well, there's uh, over 20,000, if you can believe it. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So first off, thanks for having us on the show. Um, yeah, to answer your question, I, I think what we really did is we recognized that there's a need for expertise, right? So um, a CPA is your expert when it comes to accounting. Um, you know, there's financial planners that are experts when it comes to your you know, planning your future and setting up your estate. Um, and not everyone can be an expert in everything. Uh, I think historically uh, the market was trying to everyone is trying to do a little bit of everything which means you're 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 a generalist of everything and a master of none as the world has become more complex as it's gone from you know three columns of mutual funds to 25,000 plus mutual funds out there um, you really do need expertise in understanding all right how do i differentiate among them what are the risks inherent in them and then when it comes to asset allocation you know where should i be investing what are the opportunities what are the risks so as, as the world became more complicated, we recognized there was a need for expertise, and that's what we're providing to the market. 
Well, you know, Brad, one of the things that makes us unique in the industry is how we create our portfolios. So I always, you know, clients will say, well, why you? Why are you different? And um, so just as a review, if someone were to go to another financial advisor or someone in a particular company and they would get a portfolio um, recommended portfolio. They could go to someone in the same company, another advisor in that company, and they could potentially get an entirely different portfolio and even go to a third advisor and get a different type of portfolio. With Ellen Becker Investment Group, we have created what we consider a premier basket of investments that my advisors work from in order to create portfolios for their clients. And so one of the things that's so, um, that works so well with that is that we really do have an idea of what our clients own. And so I can't have an advisor out on a Saturday evening and get a good tip and come back and put it into a client's portfolio. We literally have a premier listing of different investments that are our, our advisors can use. But the only way that works is if we have someone like you looking at those different mutual funds and helping us to really understand what's in those mutual funds and how do we blend them together. So it's like a, we always say, Julie and I always say, it's like having the family recipe that you pass down and pass down. How do we know that we're staying up to date on the different investments and what's in there? And that's a service that one of the many services that you provide for us is that in that depth of um, understanding of what we own. Yeah, it's absolutely true. So we have we have thirty individuals that are involved in our uh, investment research due diligence. So we're we're flying around the country or literally the globe, um, getting on site with investment managers, conducting due diligence, and understanding what is their competitive advantage, and just as importantly, why do we think it's sustainable going forward. And then you can't just do that work once, because even if you do that work right the first time, you know, the world doesn't uh, stop there. It continues to evolve. So we have to check back in and say, okay, what has changed? What do we think are the material elements here? You know, if we signed on for one guy or one girl that's the stock picker, you know, Mary was on yesterday and she's great. Well, she decides to, you know, pick up her tent and move across the street. Maybe that breaks down that reason of why we originally invested. So we have to we have to keep coming back to that and conducting that research. And it's, it's a big lift. It takes a lot of work uh, and a lot of uh, systems and documents to make sure that you do it right. But I think you're exactly right as well. You know, the go to one bank, get 10 different opinions. You know, we like to call that seat of the pants investing, right? Mm-hmm. So you walk in the door today and I'm, I'm feeling a little nervous. I, you know, saw some headlines in the news. So I'm going to buy a little bit more of this than that. And then, you know, tomorrow, you know, I had a great day, you know, great dinner with my wife and tomorrow I come in and I feel different. You know, we, we don't really believe in, in approaching investing like that. You have to have a disciplined, repeatable process that instills, especially in those moments of, you know, maybe even panic, that might be too strong a word, like in February when the market started uh, coming down. You know, what do we do here? What is our game plan? And knowing what we have to do to make sure that we don't stray from that really helps us win over the long term. Well, and our goal, and when we talked to you initially, our goal was to build portfolios that would be resilient in down markets and take advantage of the um, of the upside of the market. And the only way that we felt that we could do that is if we knew to the best of our ability what we owned and what quality was in those portfolios. And 
the difficulty that I found when I was doing my own research was that you couldn't always you the news was too late you you didn't know what was in those mutual funds and you didn't know how they would react in in the down markets and there was so much crossover in families of funds and it became it became critical that you had to be able to select the best of the best and then it was like okay how do we do that right a- absolutely and that's something that you're you're absolutely right you can't be reacting in the moment to that you know in some ways you try to do that it's it's a fool's errand um, you have to make sure ahead of time as you're considering um, their ability, the portfolio management team's ability to outperform, or frankly, even if it's a passive investment, the ability to passively replicate an index isn't a, isn't a foregone conclusion. It's relatively easy with the S&P 500, but it gets more difficult when you start to talk about other indices. So, you know, we conduct due diligence there as well to make sure that they have the ability to replicate and that they're doing so at a reasonable fee. The due diligence becomes more complicated when you're talking about active investments or even things like hedge funds or private equity. You know, there's a lot of work that has to mm-hmm. happen with those. And doing that up front, not real-time and reacting, is the key to long-term success. Well, I remember when we were talking and I had said, you know, I'm not interested in what what some of the different um, – um, value lines and different ways of monitoring the mutual funds. I wasn't really interested in that because that was telling me how they performed in the past. I really wanted you to help me understand how these investments will perform going forward. Yeah, absolutely. There's two. So uh, when we're conducting due diligence, it's a very long and arduous process. It it almost always includes us flying out and spending a, you know nearly an entire day with investment team. Um, understanding their process, collecting an RFI, lots of phone calls, lots of discussion. But there's really two elements that we're always trying to drive at. So the first is, what is their competitive advantage? Because a lot of people say, we want to find a differentiator. And we'd mm-hmm. like to say, well, different isn't necessarily good. Different can be bad, right? So yes. we want to find why are they, they better than their peers and think that they can outsmart the markets because, frankly, that's really hard to do. <laughs> and then the second thing is, why is that sustainable going forward? Because as nice as it is and comforting as it is to look at a three- or a five-year track record and say, oh, yeah, these guys did it in the past, um, yeah, that, that seems like a good idea. We have to understand the elements that made them successful then. Does that still reconcile with today's world? And do we think we, they can repeat it going forward? And sometimes you might have a portfolio manager that has – all the same people and systems and processes in place, but the world has just changed around them, that it's eroded their advantage. So despite nothing changing, they may have lost their edge. Mm-hmm. So we're always looking through the, you know, the windshield, not the rearview mirror when it comes to recommendations. And that, that's critical. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're really chasing your tail. Well, one of the things that was very difficult for me to discern when looking at some of the different fund families was looking at what they called the fund. It could be um, an income fund or a growth in income, and then look inside and see did the did the investments actually match what they were calling the fund, and then to look at a family of fund and often find that there was a lot of the same types of investments in many of the different portfolios. So trying to diversify without really understanding what was actually in the portfolios was very complicated and very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a lot of window dressing. 
um, at probably the the worst end. But even uh, sometimes the definition or the nomenclature around the objective isn't clear. So I'll give you an example. We wrote a research piece a little while ago on smart beta. You know, it's a topic that's out there in the market. But we think a lot of investors are looking at smart beta and saying, oh, well, it's all the same. I'll just try to buy it based on price, so which is cheapest. And we looked at two similarly objective uh, emerging market portfolios, and they were called low-vol emerging market portfolios. So the idea was if the market goes down, that they would go down less than the market and help protect capital. Well, we looked back over periods of time where the market had pulled back, and there was material difference between the two, you know, to the to the tune of hundreds of percentage, so, you know, uh, two, three, four, five percent. And it, it makes a really big difference when trying to understand what's really under the hood. What do they own? Just as importantly, why do they own it? And where do you think they're going to be in the future? To try to kind of take it at the face value of what they say a portfolio is versus what you actually see and exhibit and make them prove to you, and then you can prove to yourself is a, is a totally different process. My guest today is Brad Long, and he is the Director of Global Research for DeMeo Schneider, which is a firm that provides us research and um, investment recommendations on many of the um, mutual funds and different investments that we use. And when we, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm just going to kind of build a little um, uh, portfolio for you to actually see how this impacts the investments that we have in total, all of our bonds and our stocks and the different things that we have. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Brad Long. He is the director of global research for Demio Schneider, which is a firm that helps us with research on our investments and our investment portfolios. So you've heard me speak in, in the past about how we build a portfolio. We always start by trying to determine how much income you will need to draw from your portfolio. And you may be drawing or you may be just saving and not drawing, which means in both cases we make a determination someone who's drawing is going to definitely have more income needs than someone who's not. And then we have our dividend income portfolio that is managed by uh, Mary Brown. Our bond portfolio is um, also a managed is, is a managed portfolio. And then we have our small cap portfolio, which is managed. And then around it, in order to even it out and be well diversified, we use, in many cases, the mutual funds. And so what Brad does at DeMeo Schneider is they understand our process and our investments that we have that we kind of look at our more concrete, our individuals, and they help us to determine which mutual funds out there are going to complement the investments we have. So because we're a different type of a of an investment house and we have this premier portfolio of stocks and investments that we use so it doesn't matter who you talk to in our firm we we have the same investments to work from every client will be individual and will be different but we want to be certain that the investments that we have are like a good recipe. So if you're making a cake and or if you're making something and it has sugar, if you put too much sugar in it, it's going to be ruined or too much salt or too much spice of anything. So it, it really does matter how you blend these investments together. And so, Brad, that's 
that's the really depth and value that you bring to the table because one of the things I remember saying is that I want to sleep at night and I want my clients to sleep at night. Absolutely. And, you know, you use the analogy of a recipe. I think that's a good one. The other one um, that I'll often use is the analogy of um, just navigating. Think of in a car, right? If you don't know where you are, it's hard to figure out how you can get to where you're going. So, First, you really have to understand the underlying portfolio as it is today, so all the investments that you mentioned. And then how do you appropriately complement them? Uh, there's a lot of different things to consider when you're doing that. You know, The first is you really have to understand the risks that are involved. So the grouping of uh, domestic income stocks and bonds and small cap stocks, you know, they have risk and opportunity associated with all of them. Um, but then what are, what are the ways to hopefully reduce the risk or at least round out, mitigate the risks, and then also provide additional opportunity. Because as we were talking about before, you know, there are uh, thousands and thousands of different investment uh, opportunities out there. And there are specialists that, you know, in certain spaces like non-investment grade fixed income, um, typically the person who's a very good fixed income manager in the investment grade space might not be a great investment manager in the high-yield space or non-investment grade space. The expertise for those individuals will be different, and they can help complement one another when it comes to diversifying risk, uh, including opportunity, and help guard against things like, like say, inflation. You know, we, we might get on this topic later, but you want to make sure that if there are assets that can help guard against the risk of inflation in the future, that you can use them in a prudent way in your portfolio and make sure that they all come together in a cohesive uh, and prudent fashion. I also know that <clears throat> when we are looking at a client and they have to withdraw funds from their portfolio. And with Terry Pavlik managing our bond portfolio, we really want to hold those bonds and let them come due and mature on their own. We don't want to have to sell them. And so when we look at that and we look at where the portfolio is, we want to be able to take money in the easiest way possible. So instead of liquidating, if we need some cash, we want to take it from the bond portion, we can easily take it from the mutual fund portion. And the same is true And last year when the market was so fantastic, we didn't touch our bonds at all. We started to take from the profits and use that money in for the cash flow. So having this balance of individual equities and individual bonds and mutual funds really does give us the flexibility to take from the most appropriate place of a portfolio. Absolutely. It gives you opportunity for... Um, liquidity in the portfolio. So when you need money and how quickly you need it and how much of it you need, right? Yes. It's your money. You want to have access to it. So making sure that you have numerous instruments in the portfolio to pull on, whether it's, you know, the depths of, of the Great Recession in 2008 or, you know, a benign Thursday in 2017 when it seems like there's no risk to be found anywhere. You want to make sure that you can access uh, your capital easily. The other thing is, <clears throat> in doing so with having a variety of, of instruments, you can do so in a tax-efficient manner. Because mm -hmm. remember, it's not just what you earn, but what you keep. You know, that's an important consideration when you're thinking about the ability to spend and generate an income over time, is that you want to make sure you're doing it in a tax-efficient way. So by having a variety of avenues with to access capital helps in that and uh, achieving that goal. When I've had clients say to me that when a new client comes in and we're explaining the portfolio and our process and our beliefs on how to invest money, and they'll say, well, by having this 
premier portfolio, aren't you letting a lot on the table? Aren't you um, hindering yourself, not having the opportunity to purchase everything and anything out there? And we do have the opportunity to purchase anything and everything out there. But we feel that with the research that we do, we aren't missing anything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the definition of premier, right? So yes. not everything can be premier. We wish it, we wish it could be, right? Yes. Um, so, yeah, you absolutely, <clears throat> by defining uh, having a minimum threshold of quality and the objectives that you're trying to achieve and having you know the ability to safeguard capital, that's not every security that's out there, whether it's fixed income or equity. You want to make sure that you're selecting and choosing those that fulfill the, the objective of the portfolio. So um, you don't have to own everything to achieve that objective. And frankly, by the definition of Premier, you can't. So you have to be more selective and uh, in discerning around what you want to own. When a client is looking at a variety of different investments, they can also they can get confused very easily when they look at what the yield of a portfolio is thinking and trying to discern what is the quality of that portfolio. And really, that's what it boils down for us, is we really want to know what the quality is, and we want to have the best idea that we can as to how it's going to perform in all the different market cycles. Yeah, I think quality, quality cuts in a lot of different ways. So from, from the highest level, you want to construct a portfolio that's thoughtfully diversified that allows you to uh, weather through any kind of storm that's going to come through. So it, you know, if we just uh, plus, pressed repeat on the financial crisis and that started again today, you know, that's one type of risk, right? There could be inflation or uh, rising interest rates. You know, it's a commonly discussed risk today in the market. So how do you build a portfolio, not just uh, with, uh, an equity portfolio, but also a bond portfolio that can help withstand that? And then, so you have to construct from the aggregate level uh, a portfolio that will help weather through all those different circumstances. And then, once you have total allocation, you start to move in on each of the pieces. So how do you define appropriate quality for equity and appropriate quality for fixed income? And then the individual securities and what's in a portfolio. And again, you mentioned it earlier, Karen. It's not just the securities that you own, the individual bonds or stocks, but what's in the mutual fund. It's not a black box. It owns stocks and bonds and other instruments. So understanding that along the way and making sure that it reconciles with your opinion of quality really helps. Uh, especially when the rubber hits the road and the markets are down and, you know, let's say it's, you know, February 9th and we've already fallen 11% on global markets, <laughs> you, know, you want to know what's in those portfolios. And also you want to make sure that they're performing as you expected, right? So in those moments when you're seeking quality, that the quality exhibit, uh, characteristics are exhibiting themselves and hopefully protecting on the downside. There is such a difference in clients that are our clients and clients that come to us looking for um, a new investment advisor. And very often, they have no idea of what's in their portfolios. And they have this feeling of not being safe because they don't know how it's going to react. And what we really try to achieve is to educate our clients to understand what we anticipate will happen. And I, I know it probably sounds crazy, but we rarely have people call when the market is correcting and wonder if they should sell out or if they should do anything. They know that what they own is going to come back, that it's quality. 
and it may be down a while, but they haven't lost their money. And we've already protected them so that their lifestyle doesn't have to change in a down market because we've created enough income for them for over seven years. So we do five years of a bond portfolio in a ladder, um, equal to whatever their income needs are, and then two years for unexpected expenses. So when we have quality, we know we can wait. Absolutely. And frankly, you know, we talk about a lot of risks in investing. We talk about uh, you know, recessions, and we talk about inflation and uh, rising interest rates. But the biggest risk in investing is investors. We, we hurt ourselves all the time. Um, you know, we're, we're emotional beings, and when the markets are down, we want to sell, and when the markets are high, we want to add. And you know what? Buying, uh, buying high and selling low isn't exactly a great formula to making money, and we're all hardwired that way. So setting up the initial conversation around what is quality, how do you have your spending covered for the next multiple years, those things up front help everyone avoid the biggest mistake, which is, you know, buying at the peak of the tech bubble or selling at the bottom of the financial crisis and going all the cash, <laughs> those are the mistakes that you really can't dig out of. Yes. There are always other mistakes that happen on the margins that are very recoverable. Those are the ones that you can't get out of, and that's why I think the system really works. Yes. My guest today is Brad Long. He is the Director of Global Research for DeMeo Schneider. We're going to take a break, and I have asked Brad to bring his crystal ball along and to give us an idea of maybe what we should be looking, some themes for 2018, and uh, just to kind of give us a, maybe a level playing field if there is such a thing. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. If you have a portfolio that you just don't quite understand or you're not certain that you have quality, if you're not certain how it's going to react in a market, because you know we will, the market will go down. It's like a roller coaster. And I always say that uh, it is like a roller coaster, but nobody jumps off a roller coaster when it's moving. And that's a little bit about what Brad was talking about earlier is um, – not getting in or out of the market at the at the correct um, times for your portfolio. Please give us a call at 262-691-3200, and we'll sit down with you. We'll review it and give you a really clear idea of what your portfolio looks like and what you might be able to expect from it. My guest today is Brad Long, and Brad, you are the global the director of global research. Big job. And when you're looking out there at the, the different themes for 2018 or what, what is it that you're focusing on that you're kind of watching? So I, lo- I love the analogy of the roller coaster. Um, you know, at least the benefit of a roller coaster is you can see the top of the hill coming and, you know, at least hold your breath uh, for the rest. In the markets, you don't get that opportunity, right. unfortunately. So in 2018, that plays really well into, you know, one of our themes that we think in the market is, frankly, it's just expect the unexpected. Um, this is, look, this is probably good advice for any year, but it, it seems to be particularly apropos these days. So you've got elections that are going off around the globe. We'll just finished theirs. Um, you know, we have the potential for a trade war. We've been talking about tariffs. You know, what does that do to your portfolio? Aluminum, steel, uh, solar panels, um, 
you know, NAFTA. So there's a lot out there that can happen. Uh, if you think, actually, right now we've got, uh, you know, some nor'easters hitting uh, the northeast. Last year we had hurricanes come in. In January we had the government shut down. So you just start to put together the laundry list of items, and there's a lot of swirl out there. <laughs> and the thing that we think is most important for investors, and this comes back to investors are hardwired to lose money, is by expecting the unexpected, it puts you in the driver's seat to say, all right, I know some of these things are going to come up. Frankly, I don't know what they're going to be, but something's going to be there. I need to make sure that I have the quality of my portfolio and the understanding of my portfolio so that when it arrives, I'm, I put myself in the best position not to panic because that's the worst thing at the end of the day. So we think that there's going to be a lot of those headlines this year. And frankly, most of them are just that. They're headlines and then you move on. Some of them might be uh, meaningful. It, it might change the way that we have an outlook uh, on the market or risk in the market. But most of the time, it's very transient. It doesn't make a big, uh, a big mm-hmm. issue. So there are a few things that come through, and this plays into our next theme, is uh, continued focus on growth. So if you think about the end of last year, you know, we were able to pass tax reform. Um, you know, 69% or nearly 70% of GDP is consumption. So if you're putting more money in people's pockets and corporations' pockets and they're spending, that's a stimulative effect. That's, you know, that will grow uh, the economy at a faster clip than it would have otherwise. So the world is very interested in growth. You know, tax reform here in the U.S., even though we're, uh, the Federal Reserve is raising rates, we're still in a very accommodative posture. The federal funds rate is at 1.5. You know, on a historical mm-hmm. basis, that's still extremely low. So, you know, we're, we're um, in a very accommodative position. And when you look around the globe, that's absolutely true as well. So um, the ECB, which is the European's equivalent of the Fed, and Mario Draghi, who heads that, it, you know, has promised for years they'll do anything to continue to grow. And then, frankly, there's also, uh, you know, room for infrastructure spending and investment and policy around there. Now, we don't know if that will come to fruition, but the point is, is that, Everyone is, is very interested in continuing to grow the economy. So we think the implication is, is that there's opportunity uh, still, albeit less than before, uh, opportunity still within, within uh, the markets. One of the negative outcomes from that is inflation. So as the world wants to grow, you know, you're putting more and more pressure on inflation growing. And inflation is a really multi, multifaceted thing. It's, it's, it's hard to predict um, you know, you can put 12 economists in the room. They'll all have 12 different opinions, and frankly, they'll all probably be wrong. But when you look at the key elements and drivers of inflation, you know, one of them is employment and wages. And that makes sense, right? If you're paying someone uh, $20 an hour and then uh, tomorrow you offer them 21 but then prices uh, drop, you don't get to go back and pay them $20 an hour the next day. You know, so they're pretty sticky on the way up. A lot of numbers have been coming out around, you know, our unemployment now is at 4.1%. That's definitely full employment. Um, and wages have been rising, which, again, are pretty sticky on the upside. So if people have more money in their pockets and they're willing to spend more uh, on certain items, that puts price pressure on goods in the economy. So we want to make sure that uh, if we're building portfolios that are going to be all-weather and robust, that they are keeping in mind inflation because inflation, unfortunately, is one of those silent killers. Mm-hmm. It's uh, one of the things that kind of creeps into a portfolio and you don't really realize it's there until it's too late. And 
it's very important because if you think about the goods that you buy, especially if you're in retirement, you know, and you just use kind of the proverbial gallon of milk, if a gallon of milk doubles, uh, that's that's going to have a big input on your ability to spend in retirement. So we want to make sure to build a portfolio to help uh, protect against that. And one of the things we're watching is, you know, the trade trade wars and tariffs that are potentially out there. That's a sneaky kind of back doorway for inflation to show up. If you think about Carrier, uh, the air conditioner company, when Trump first came to office, they announced that they weren't moving jobs to Mexico, which was a big headline and a win for domestic jobs. The following day, they also announced that they were going to increase their prices by what I believe was 20%. <laughs> so, you know, if you're uh, if you live in a warm state, that makes a big difference. Yes. So, when we when we think of other uh, big themes out there, so policy divergence is another. So, in the U.S., uh, you know, we're starting our our rate uh, raising cycle, and um, Jerome Powell is uh, you know just testified in front of Congress, or I guess spoke in front of Congress, and said that he would kind of continue down the path of his predecessors and slowly increase rates. But there is some divergence between us and the rest of the world. So we're on the rate rising cycle, whereas the ECB and Japan and others aren't moving. That provides potential risk and and opportunity, frankly, uh, within fixed income. So it's one of those things that it could actually remind investors that bonds do have volatility. Mm -hmm. Now, it might be intermittent volatility till the bond expires, but it may have price volatility nonetheless. So you know, it's a good reminder because uh, investors haven't really experienced that in a very long time. And then the last element here is where's the opportunity? So as we sit here today, and I wish it was a crystal ball, Karen, but instead it's kind of a cloudy viewfinder that we <laughs> you know, take highly probable guesses, but we don't know the future. Um, you know, we look at uh, some pretty simple, simple principles. Uh, the U.S. today is a relatively expensive market. We've done extremely well since the financial crisis, uh, so things are relatively expensive. Again, getting back to that principle of buying cheap and selling expensive. Um, so we look elsewhere around the world. And when we look, we see more opportunity in uh, international markets, like the European markets or the emerging markets. So company, or countries like uh, China and India and Russia and others, there's, there's 110 emerging countries out there, not just the big five that everyone talks about. But on a relative basis, there's a bit more opportunity there. So if we're going to shift assets in any direction, we want to make sure that we're buying things that have uh, better probability and better opportunity for return going forward and selling things that we think have uh, a little bit more risk embedded them because of price. My guest today is Brad Long. He's the Director of Global Research for DeMeo Schneider, who is our research company. And with that, we will be right back. I'm Karen Allenbecker. My guest is Brad Long. He's the Director of Global Research for DeMeo Schneider, which is our research company. And when you were talking, Brad, I was thinking about how often clients come in or somebody, not a client, but someone will come in and say, I have a million dollars towards retirement. And by the time we look at inflation, which you just talked about, and we look at taxes, we, you know, and and you look at where the interest rates are, and you really recognize that they really don't have a million dollars. They have a portion of that, but some of it's Uncle Sam, some of it's going to go to inflation. All of it's not theirs to spend as a net number. Yeah, it, you know, I think it's a great point. It, as a society, we've really, uh, we've really anchored on dollar values. You know, if it, whatever the number is, 500000 a million, you know, and, and you get to that point and you say, all right, I've got it made. 
in in a world, you know, rewind 10, 15 years ago where fixed income was earning inflation plus, you know, two, three percent, mm-hmm. maybe more. Um, that's very doable. And that's it's an easy, simple math, like the rule of four percent. You know, if I withdraw four percent, which basically used to be, you know, a coupon on an investment grade fixed income portfolio plus the dividends earned on stocks, you could pretty easily meet your retirement objectives. We're not in that world today. Uh, you know, fixed income is essentially earning what inflation is. And if inflation spikes, you know, that might uh, be a more adverse uh, scenario for fixed income. So you have to be, you know, more dynamic and you have to be uh, willing to understand kind of what's in your portfolio and, and look for opportunities perhaps outside of the conventional wisdom. I know that we talked a little bit during the break that there's some old standbys that just don't really work some of them work and some of them don't some of the principles absolutely there's you know the uh take your age and uh you know subtract from 100 is how much equity you should have in your portfolio or you know the four percent spending rule or you know there's a lot of kind of old wives tales and frankly the math on those is pretty good if you look over you know a hundred year period but we just happen to live in a relatively unique time period within that 100-year view. I guess if you have 100 years left to live, you know, God bless you, good, good for you. But, you know, with today's opportunity in equity and fixed income and what we think forward-looking uh, opportunities, again, not in the rearview mirror, but the windshield, uh, what the opportunity is looking forward, some of those adages start to break down. And we think that, you know, if you try to follow them and take a very simplistic uh, view to your portfolio, you might be inviting risks that you otherwise didn't know. And quite simply, that risk could be you run out of money in retirement. Or buy and hold. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> that's, exactly. A, that's a doozer. Yeah, right. So the ostrich principle, you know, where you bury your head in the sand. Yes. Um, sometimes, you know, it's a good principle. <clears throat> Most of the time it's not. You want to, you know, you want to make sure you've got your hands on the wheel. You're not just a passenger and, and kind of ho- hopefully someone's driving, but certainly not in the scenario where no one's driving. I think one of the one of the areas and something that I always say is live by what you trust not by what you fear. And the only way to not fall into that category of fear around your money is to really understand what you have and to understand how it's going to work in all different types of marketplaces, but also to have a really good handle on your cash flow. That's when most businesses fail is cash flow. And so I think a lot of times we see that people either don't have enough cash flow and or they have too much on the sidelines. And I always say that when there's too much money and money markets earning nothing, it's like having employees in the lunchroom, you know, drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and not doing anything. And um, so I think that whole piece of really understanding how much money you should have cash on hand and how much ready for your expenses and your cash flow is really critical. And when you can narrow it down to having enough for five years, seven years, um, it's really going to help you to have your money working. Because one of the things that I worry about with clients is inflation is huge. Uh, But the inflation piece that I worry about is not so much the gallons of milk when my clients are older, but health care. Ooh, and he's telling me I've only got a few minutes, but it's healthcare um, that really could erode a portfolio. Absolutely, he- healthcare. You know, there's some element of inflation. Healthcare inflation, education inflation. You know, inflation today is 1.7. Healthcare inflation has been double digits. College education, specifically, has been double digits. Yes. You know, those are 
things that uh, are very expensive to try to fund and overcome. So understanding those elements are critically important achieving your goals. My guest today is Brad Long. He's the Director of Global Research for Demio Schneider, which is our uh, research team. And Brad, you guys are doing a great job and I appreciate it. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Thank you and have a great weekend. Your EIG Wealth Advisor can help you control risk, make sure your estate plan is in order, and help you understand your financial plan during retirement. But we can't control one of the largest drains on your portfolio during retirement. That's your health. For that, we'd like to share expert cooking tips and health wisdom from a local expert, Chef Michael Becker. So stay tuned. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Food Sense. Today, we're going to make some sense of desserts. I have been sharing a lot of recipes with you, but I have not shared a dessert recipe yet. I am not a dessert chef. I am not, or better yet, a pastry chef. I am more of a savory chef. And what I mean by that, I love to cook dishes that have to do with transformation of ingredients from raw to cooked, but a pastry chef is totally a different art which I'm not amazing at. I like to be, but I'm not. But I have some desserts that are amazing, yet simple that I want to share with you. This one is called a granita. A granita is basically a sorbet that has no dairy in it or eggs, but you're not doing it with an ice cream machine. Many of us don't have an ice cream machine at home. So chef, how do I make a nice sorbet without an ice cream machine? This is what I'm sharing with you. If you have an ice cream machine, so much the better. The beauty is that you can still make this dessert, know exactly what's in it, and enjoy it. It's a phenomenal dessert with just some fresh strawberries and keeping it very simple. And for those of you that don't want dairy or eggs in your diet or you want to go vegan, this is amazing. Here we go. Ingredients. A cup of sugar. Half cup of very good cocoa powder. When I say very good cocoa powder, I'm not just saying that because I want to make your life more difficult. There are differences between good cocoa powder and cheap cocoa powder. The cocoa powder is really the cacao that is the main flavor in chocolate. And it has a beautiful tangy and bitterness to it. A quarter teaspoon of pure vanilla extract, not imitation, pure. It's worth it. One eighth a teaspoon of ground cinnamon, a great anti-inflammatory. I hope you keep cinnamon in your diet all the time. Eight teaspoon of kosher salt. What? What are you doing with salt in a dessert? It pops the sweetness and the true flavors of the cocoa and everything else. That's what salt does. And then we're going to have two cups of water, a shot of espresso, or a very, very intense coffee that you can use instant coffee for, by the way. This is one of my tricks. And... One tablespoon of chocolate liqueur. For example, a Tia Maria would do beautifully. Now, these are the directions. In a large saucepan, we're going to mix the sugar, 
the cocoa powder, the vanilla, cinnamon, and salt. Stir in two cups of water and espresso. Cook over low heat until all the ingredients have dissolved. You notice what I'm talking about here? You basically put everything together, put water in there, and bring it to a boil, reduce it to a very gentle simmer, and be done with it. That's it. You take it off the heat, you let it relax a little bit, maybe 30 seconds to a minute, and you stir in the coffee liqueur. You place it in a plastic container, and you put it in the refrigerator. Not in the freezer, in the refrigerator. You're allowing all the ingredients to slowly cool down so they get married and they give you a very well-balanced flavor. Then you take it out of the plastic after about, let's say, 30 minutes to 45 minutes. You pour it in a Pyrex or a roasting pan that goes inside the freezer. You leave it in the freezer for an hour without touching it. Go back in an hour and scrape it with a spoon. The top is already frozen, and then it's going to mix with the liquid that is still not frozen. And later by later, it's going to freeze. So you do that same action one more time. Again, if necessary, a second time, and the whole thing is frozen. Oh, God help you. You are going to into heaven. Enjoy it. Have it with some berries, some blueberries. It doesn't matter what. Just think about me while you're having it. I love you a ton, and I'll see you next week. No, 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 no. We'll talk next week. If you would like more of Chef Becker's recipes and food tips, go to ellenbecker.com and click under the resource tab.